Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. Can we do that? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. One of the reasons I chose this book is because there's controversy in it. And I chose this book as well because we were challenged by local government and the Apostle Peter addresses that issue. And so we preached on it a couple weeks ago. So here's what I want us to understand, and I hope that we can build that foundation today. As we look at this chapter right here, let's remember these people had been abused. They had been abused by their local government in Jerusalem because they believed in Jesus. It was considered that they deserved to lose their livelihoods. They deserved to lose their families. They deserved to lose their homes. They, even many of them, had des- they felt they deserved to lose their lives. Now imagine all of that. So now you find yourself scattered around the world having been abused, and what does the Apostle Peter have to address? He has to address, okay then, after all these terrible things happen to you, how should we live? How should you live in relationship to the new governments that you are under? And these governments are more godless than the government that you found in Jerusalem that kicked you out. And he just tells them to walk in submission to them. But we understand as well that there's not just the responsibility of people to their government, but there's a responsibility of government towards their people. And that in that lesson there, we understood that a government doesn't have the right to call good evil and evil good. And they can't make people go against their consciences. And that's so, that's so important. Then he talks about the relationship with your boss, all right? So he talks about your relationship because some of them found themselves to be slaves and had an overseer. He talks about that relationship and how bad that can get. And that in that relationship, he even said you have to learn how to suffer. And um, sometimes the people's greatest, I bet if I asked in this room, how many of you would testify to this, that your greatest source of suffering in your life right now is your job? And what it looks like, okay? So then we also have the understanding that now he's talking about, what about the relationship to your spouse? And he goes into that. Because when you suffer or something wrong has happened to you, you can make everybody feel the wrath of your paybacks. And sometimes spouses can be the recipients of paybacks. And then he also deals with our relationship to our church and what that's going to look like. So it's really really a great opportunity. Now some people might say, why did the apostle... Peter, go directly from a sermon on suffering to a sermon on being married. Some people might equate the two and say, that's not such a leap for me, right, in my personal experience. But we do find sometimes, actually, some people's greatest place of suffering is in their marriage. And so that can be a really difficult place to suffer. So the Apostle Paul talks about some very controversial things. I'm sorry, I said Paul, Peter. We're going to talk about the Apostle Paul in marriage and what the Apostle Peter had to say about it as well as they were led by the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. We find scriptures that in here that talk about the woman being the weaker vessel, the weaker person. What does that mean? Because in the interpretation of our culture right now, that idea is despised. It's also talking about here, wives be subject to your husbands. Wow, that's a really tough one to, to, to get past, isn't it? I want us to be able to speak honestly and frankly about these things. I also want us to understand as well, you and I are watching a devolving culture, are we not, right? A culture that has rejected the Lord and it's falling into collapse. If you know and if you are in tune with what's going on in our school systems, schools are starting to collapse in some areas because the lines of authority, teacher, parents, children, those relationships, they're really getting stretched to their, almost to their breaking point. We find out that when it comes to our marriages and to our families, to the role of husbands and wives, it's getting stretched And biblical roles are being challenged at the point of the breaking 
down of marriage. I, I want you to think about this, is that if we struggle with the roles of husband and wife inside of a home, we have to also understand that culturally it's being despised because we don't even know what a man is or a woman is anymore. So if that begins to collapse, why wouldn't the whole system collapse? And as we're looking at these scripture verses right here, I want us to take an honest look at what the Lord is speaking about. The accusations against these scriptures are not as crystal clear as people from, who are not believers choose these little lines and phrases and use it to beat you up. It's like, how can you believe in a book that would say something like that. And I, I want you to know that marriage is one of the institutions that's collapsing right now. And yet, by the same token, we have to realize if this world is removing the roles of husband and wife and marriage is collapsing, then we have to embrace the idea that what God intends inside the marriage is going to look different than what the world wants to accept. Does that make sense? All right, so let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. And Lord, help me. I mean it. In Jesus' name, to speak with clarity today and that there be no misunderstanding. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. Can I just point out, and I know I'm jumping ahead, it says, be subject to your own husbands. It's not calling women to be subject to men. It's nothing to do with that. We're looking at the role inside the home because this has nothing to do with value, value of opinion or, or just individual intrinsic worth. But wives be subject to your own husbands, even if any of them are disobedient to the word. They may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. Your adornment must, must not be merely the external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel. But it should be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the holy women of former times who hoped in God also used to adorn themselves being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have proved to be her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Lord, I really meant it when I said help me. I want your help, but not just help me to say the right words, but help us all to hear. The Apostle Peter says that being frightened by fear, fear entering into the hearts of wives and fear entering into the hearts of husbands sabotages our homes. And I pray, Lord, you break the power of fear, fear of being obedient in this area of the word because this, um, this is the path of blessing. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless and, strength, bless and strengthen every marriage in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the first issue you might have with these passages, why so many verses addressed to the women and one verse to men? Because the truth of the matter is it was much harder to be a godly woman during this season of upheaval than it was to be the godly man. How, let me help you to understand this. Is in the Greco-Roman culture, it was expected that whatever a man believed, the wife should align with it. So a wife should automatically follow whatever faith system her husband had. So yeah, the apostle Paul says... But in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. Women don't have to surrender what they believe because their husband believes a certain way. But that created particular challenges for the woman, and so Peter has to unwrap that. Because he's talking about, what about a woman who lives with a man who's not following the Word of God? How does she live in that situation? Because that can be fearful and intimidating. And so the Apostle Peter wants to address that. 
He wants the women to know. You have been set free to be followers of Jesus Christ. But in that freedom and having been set free, don't become a rebel in your home. Don't think that Christianity means I can just resist my husband on every level. The truth of the matter is we live right now in the relationships between men and women that I believe that women are encouraged to be rebels. That there's this idea of toxic masculinity. Despise the masculine and resist it no matter what the cost. So women are finding themselves by nature attracted to men while they're being trained to despise what being a man is. And it's creating a huge clash inside of our homes. Here's the thing that we need to understand. Ladies, let me help you. And you said, right? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell the ladies how to think now. Okay? Help me, Lord. Here's the thing. If you're given to watching the Hallmark Channel, I just want to remind all the ladies in the room that that is uh, written by a woman on how men should behave. And the truth of the matter is, is that men don't always behave through the lens of how a woman thinks that men should behave. And they don't love necessarily in the same way that women love. And so on the rare occasion, I think it happened once in a hotel room where we were having the competition of who gets to use the remote that I watched the Hallmark Channel, and I want to assure you that I made you ladies know this. I made Pam as miserable as your husband makes you when he's watching the Hallmark Channel because he's saying, oh, brother, what guy's going to act like that, right? It's a scenario for failure. Every man failed at his marriage after his wife watched the Hallmark Channel. In the same way, when it comes to spirituality, male spirituality does not look like female spirituality. So women can sit with a cup of tea on the table and talk for two hours, and a man can't do that. He starts to lose his mind. In the same way, when a wife wants to pray with her husband, she can pray for two hours. He's done praying in five minutes. It's all it takes. It was all said. We trust you, God. That's it. Okay, let's go do something, right? That's how it works. We have to watch concerning spirituality that we're not projecting upon each other anything. And that projection or the resistance... The resistance inside the home that God's not going to be honored in it. Sometimes I even found myself in the, towards the beginning of our marriage in, in insisting upon what I thought was the better way, was at the sacrifice of peace and tranquility inside the home. And men have to remind themselves, it's not just that everything lines up according to our way, but what is our ultimate goal? And I would encourage the wives to consider the same thing. Maybe there are some legitimate expectations you should be able to have about your husband, yet at the same time, you can insist on those things at the expense of peace and joy and tranquility inside the home. So when we think about all of this, we have to understand that it's talking about wives be subject to your husbands in the same way it said Christians be subject to your government, in the same way that it's saying um, employees be subject to your bosses, and then in the same way it says um, be subject, uh, Christians be subject to the leaders within your church. It's all dealing with the same issue, and it's to break the power of rebellion. We do live in a rebellious generation right now. I think in particular, we have a tendency to live in a very rebellious valley. It's a lot of self-made people, and there's a lot of rebellion against God, and it's reflected inside of our homes and inside of our marriages. First, let me make crystal clear that husband never usurps the role of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of his wife. In the same way that the government does not usurp my relationship with the Lord, and it cannot ask me to do anything according to my conscience. I must obey my conscience before the Lord. 
in the same way, this whole scripture verse helps us to understand the, the, a husband can never expect that his wife would ever violate her confessions of faith or her conscience. She doesn't necessarily have to line up in every bit of his theology, even though that is a goal within our homes to be like-minded. A husband really truly understands, and the wife as well, that Jesus will always have the preeminence and the ownership. So husbands with your wife, Jesus Christ has the preeminence and the ownership of her because she was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ as well the wives need to understand that Jesus Christ has preeminence over the husband and ownership over him, and she should expect him to obey the Lord. So a woman is never expected to follow her husband into disobedience against God, ever. This call to be subject, to be in submission to your husbands, has nothing to do with the woman's value or her worth. It doesn't mean that automatically in every situation the husband's opinion has greater value and carries more weight. It has nothing to do with value. This is all addressing attitude in people that found themselves in a culture that rejects the idea of marriage. There is an anti-marriage culture in America today. The whole transgenderism movement, if you watch what happened during Black Lives Matter, if you went on their website, it says was, it was to tear down the Western idea of marriage. A lot of this is just rooted in the idea that let's destroy husbands and wives, let's destroy their children, let's do whatever we can. And I want to say this, that whenever a culture rejects God, it's always the same people that lose. Every time. Usually the first ones that begin to lose in the nation of Israel when they rejected God is they began to kill the children. Yeah. Right? The babies. They were the first to lose. As our culture rejected God, who was the first to lose? It's always the ones that can't defend themselves. Right? So the babies lost. And the babies lose to this day. But I want you to understand something, ladies, today, that what's going on in our culture, who's going to be some of the first ones that lose in this culture? It's going to be women. Women are going to lose. Now we have this whole idea that any dude can become a woman just because he feels like one. So that reduces woman to nothing more than this. No intrinsic value in your femininity or how God made you. You're just a feeling. And any guy who says, I feel like a woman, he automatically becomes a woman and don't anybody dare question it. And then who's the first to lose? I'll tell you who loses. It's you on the sports field where any guy can say, I'm a woman. And the Bible says, here, so that you understand, treat your wife like the weaker vessel. And shame on any guy who competes against a woman with his male masculinity and strength to do such a thing is to position himself in a more powerful way where he is abusing it in order to win scholarships, to win trophies, and to get all kinds of things. It is a strategy of the enemy to put women down. That's all it is. There was a young boy in, that was wrestling in, for his high school, and he, a, a girl had joined the wrestling team, and they told him he had to wrestle her. And he was this young Christian boy. You can look online and find out about it. And he refused to wrestle a young lady. And I'm telling you, he says, it's because of my faith and how you treat a young lady. Here's the thing. What happens to a culture where we get accustomed to watching young men wrestle a woman and pin her to the floor. So you can tell me all you want, oh, the Bible's antiquated and this whole idea that the woman is weaker. Well, the whole idea is this, is that Christianity elevated women and our culture at one time would say you never touch a woman, right? You never hurt her, you never overpower her. And now we find ourselves being accustomed. We're being groomed to be comfortable with a man wrestling a woman to the floor. Well, at the same time, we say we despise that behavior inside the house. It doesn't make any sense. But the Bible actually says to us is that we are to, uh, the, he says to the wives that even though now you know that you are free, in Jesus Christ. 
you're still to honor your husband. Don't step into the culture where women begin to despise men. We are, yes, men are called to lead in, a, in the home. I'm not denying that. The creative order was very clear. God made Adam in his own image. And the woman ended up being created in the image of God. But understand the process that God used. He made Adam in the image of God. Adam had both the masculine and the feminine in him. And God came to Adam. And that whole idea that God took his rib was God took the feminine out of Adam. So they became male and female. God is letting us understand that the perfection of our nature, the perfection of our understand to the meaning of life and how to live life well comes out of male and female coming together. And yes, it, there's a friction that can happen. It can rub off the, the edges. But he's speaking to the women here. Don't resist the process of learning how men think. And he says to the men, you too need to learn how a woman thinks. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Understand her. Don't become adversarial. Don't become resistant. And don't do this thing where it's like, oh, men are always like this, or women are always like this. God despises that. Only an ignorant man or an ignorant woman just puts men in categories. We need to learn to honor. This whole thing of toxic masculinity is a female perception to dishonor men for being who God called them to be. And men now are stepping down from the role that God has ordained that they should play inside the family. To be strong, to be leaders, to be protectors, so that a woman can feel safe and secure inside that relationship. So we can just say, oh, I'm so free, or I've experienced so much grace and mercy, it doesn't matter how I behave. And this scripture is telling us the exact opposite is true. But here's the problem that can happen inside of our marriages. We can actually become adversarial. Two that started out loving each other end up being enemies, adversaries. And so he addresses the woman whose husband is not obeying the word. Now, let me help you to understand what he's talking about here. Because context matters. Imagine this. A man and a woman are married, and they live inside Jerusalem, and she believes in Jesus. Because she believes in Jesus, she's contradicting the faith of her husband, who might, maybe he was deeply um, in the branch of Judaism that rejected who Jesus is. He lost his home. He lost his family. He lost his friends. He lost his livelihood because his wife decided that she could not compromise when it came to her belief system, which he could have felt as though struck against his masculinity because women are supposed to align with husbands and what they believe. So here we find that there are certain women, some of them lost their husbands during this time because they didn't follow the word. Others, their husband went with them when they were directed or out of Jerusalem. And now these women, have to, the, the apostle Peter says, wait, I'm, I'm noticing a problem here. You actually understood that in Christ Jesus, the apostle Paul said there's neither male nor female. Neither male nor female. We are all equally bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. All of our lives matter and all of our opinions matter, male and female. But in that mindset, the apostle Peter is saying, but wives, make sure even if your husband is not following the word of God, your Christianity is not a license to become rebellious. Continue to honor your husband. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, it says, I say to the rest of you, this is the Apostle Paul, 
not the Lord, that if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. The Lord is telling wives here and husbands, stay in your marriage, even if the other person isn't following the word of God, because you have to understand that you are actually a means by, what does sanctify mean? It means when a, a believing wife has an unbelieving husband and he doesn't want to leave, he's going to stay around, she could say, well, he's not a believer. I'm going to ditch him and find a good Christian man. And the Lord says, don't do that. The Lord says this, you have to understand, he might not be everything you want concerning the confession of his faith or of his religion, but the Lord says you sanctify him. You set him apart to God. You, by your faith, become a covering for the household. So wives, if you are married to an unbelieving man, the scriptures are saying, don't ditch him, but understand this, is that you can create the covering for the household. Do not get in rebellion because that will break that relationship. Do we, are you beginning to understand what I'm saying here, right? In all of this, the same is true of the husband as well. You sanctify your wife and you sanctify your household. You set it apart. You bring it into the, the release of the blessings of the covenant of God. So looking again at our scripture verse here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In the same way, you wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. So here we have a wife who's married to a man who's not obeying the word of God. And the Bible actually just says this. The best way that you can change him on the course that he's on is to be a few words and to be a good example. It's very simple. Now, I, I have to say it at this point, because some of you are already like, I can hear the wheels turning. Because after he's done talking to the wives, he says this, and you husbands likewise. You husbands likewise. So that what we're saying to the women right now is also the spirit in which men are called to walk towards with, with their wives. And he's telling wives, and I think that this is a good piece of, of, of information here. Str let's talk strategically, wives. Very, you, very few wives can change their husbands by preaching at them. It's just not going to work. The dynamics are not set up for you to be successful at that. The thing is this, is that the Bible, now listen, it doesn't say you can't speak your opinion. If, the, if they're going to come to Christ, you're going to share the story of what Jesus is doing for you. But basically he's saying, don't preach at them. Let, men are already super intimidated when it comes to their wives' spirituality and inclination their receptivity and sensitivity to the things of God, their ability to pray for long hours and read the word through the night. And they're watching them and they're already intimidated. And the apostle Peter is just saying to them, listen, wives, here's a better strategy for you. You'll not preach a man to God, but you will live a man to God. And that's so important for us to all remember. I remember the story of someone in our church in Florida and, and the, the woman was married to an unbelieving husband. So for all those years, she was, he wouldn't pray grace over the food. Wouldn't pray it. So every day, you know, and it was building up inside of her heart. Every time we sit down, I'm the one who has to pray and he's the husband. And the Bible says is that Christ, the husband is supposed to be obedient to Christ and the wife is to respect and be in subjection to her husband. My husband won't lead us in prayer, even something as simple as that. And then finally, the Holy Spirit just called her to the word of the Lord. And he said, stop praying. So she stopped praying when they sat down. It only happened once. Because they sat down and she began to eat. 
And he said, aren't we going to pray first? And she goes, no. Yeah, well, we can't eat without prayer. And she had been praying for years. And she said, I'm not praying. So you know what happened? He prayed. Why? Because she removed the threat. Now, whether you think that's a structure in which men should operate is, is up to you. But the, the truth is this, is that she gave the example, but she let him, by her godly behavior, decide what's the right thing to do. So it says in the scripture verse that husbands can be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your pure and respectful behavior. You might be uncomfortable with the word about behaving wise, but he's saying, here's the behavior of a wife within the church. He talked within a marriage. He talks about it to the husbands as well. He says, the, these two things are important, purity and respect. Pure and respectful behavior will win a husband, he said. Pure means just be authentic. Just be the real you. Be the genuine article. Don't try to make him the genuine article. Make yourself the genuine article. I think all of us get into a big mess in our marriages when we step into the area of perfecting our spouse. It just doesn't work. Just each person focusing on who does Christ call me to be in this marriage. And then it also says be respectful to him. So when I think about this, about being respectful to the husband, it just forces me to go back to the nature of the fall of Adam and Eve. Because <laughs> the Bible just says to the husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. Um, husbands, you have to understand what a woman feels, and men, you have to understand what your wife feels. Now, what was the nature of the fall that has to do with the relationship inside of our marriages? When, the, when Adam and Eve sinned and the fell came, God came and spoke to them the curse that they would live under. He said to the man, he said to the man, you, you, you will work by the sweat of your brow. You will toil in order to be able to accomplish anything. And it put men in relationship with their jobs and what they do for a living. The curse that he placed upon the woman, or he said the curse, they, I don't think God, God doesn't curse but when, God, when people disobey the Lord, it introduces the removal of the blessing. And the curse that rested upon the woman was this. Your desire will be for your husband. And you will be subject to him. So the Bible is just saying right there, when Adam and Eve fell, men became focused on the greatest struggle in their life, and that is to find worth and value in what their hands do. And the Bible says the curse as it manifested upon women is that they will find value in their husbands primarily. That's their strongest thing. So you've heard this before, I'm sure, but if you ask the typical man, what is important, what, how are you doing? And they say, I'm doing great. Things are great at work, You're right? Or they're going bad. My job just really stinks, right? But then you ask a woman, and often you'll hear, how are you doing? And she'll say, I'm doing great. My husband is in a good place. My children, they're all fine, and all these kind of things. We are oriented differently towards where we find value or because of the fall of man, what we are battling with and what you struggle and fight for your entire life is what becomes very important for you. So men, you know, did you know that four times as many men commit suicide as women? The battle for significance. The whole idea that, that men have the world by the tail, more men choose to leave it than women do. They don't all have it by the tail. That's the truth. 70% of all suicides are white males in America. So thinking about all of that, you know, and that's why I believe that the enemy wants to just begin to focus on that particular group of individuals in order, because he's just got a strategy for destruction. But here, here's what we, in all of that, we want to gain the understanding that what you men are fighting against, significance through, through, through the means of the labor of your hands. A wife understands, she needs to come to understand, he's wired different than me. 
And when a woman is seeking value out of her love relationships, if a man doesn't recognize that, he'll live carelessly and recklessly and he won't reinforce the deepest need of her heart, which is the value of relationship. Men are not worse because they're job-oriented. Women are not worse because all they care about is watching Hallmark Channel and their love relationship. I know I'm broad-brushing. But here's the whole thing. What I'm saying is do not despise the other gender inside your home. They have different needs. Their glass needs to be filled with different things. So wives, he just says to, to them, uh, have a, a pure and a respectful behavior towards your husband. You, you know, like, avoid, wives, the modern reality TV of throwing your drink in a man's face or speaking to, about them in derogatory terms. That's popular. Misogyny is called out at every level inside our culture. But what about the reverse of that towards men? It's not called out, which creates an opportunity inside the home for women to believe it is culturally appropriate to be disrespectful to a man. And that imagery is affecting our marriages. So be respectful, it says, and pure, authentic. He says this in verse 3, ladies or wives, your adornment must not be merely the external. He's not against external beauty and doing the improvement, right? We all maybe were, I know I grew up around Christians where if a woman adorned herself in any way, it was considered worldly. But this verse actually says, don't let that merely be your endowment. What does he list? Braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel. He says to the wives, be more than pretty hair, gold jewelry, putting on apparel. And you say, oh, that's sexist. Come on. Do you see what's going on in our culture? And what's regarded? It's beauty, like female beauty. And he's just saying, when you get up in the morning, think of all the time you use to be beautiful to the world. And the Lord just says, but if that's as far as you go, it's, it's not going to work. What you want to be able to do is make sure that you are adorning the inner person of the, the hidden person of the heart. You're embracing the beauty of God inside yourself. While you fix yourself up in the morning, just pray and ask God to help you to be the godly person he's calling you to be. It's the hidden person. And he said, the woman who does that, see, is precious in the sight of God. Here, here's what's happening culturally. Women are being driven to be acceptable in the sight of other people. Look how beautiful I am. And look how beautiful my breakfast is. And look how beautiful my vacation was. And look how, you know, what is it all about? What people think about you. And the Lord just says, don't lose sight of the fact that what's most important is about what God thinks about you. Don't get involved in the shallowness of this world, ladies. Be beautiful on the inside and paint the barn if it needs it. No, I added that. <laughs> Just a joke. I made myself blush. So, he says, put on. How does a woman make herself beautiful on the inside? By a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Not entering into the war, the wo male, female, female, male war. He's not anti-fashion. It's not anti-attractiveness. But he says that there is an imperishable quality. In other words, think about fashion. Hairstyles, 
jewelry, apparel, all of those are fads. They come and go. But he says there's an imperishable beauty, a beauty that will always be beautiful. And it's not external. So he said, have a gentle and a quiet spirit. Now you might just say, oh, he's just asking women to be quiet. No, he's really merely reminding women of what Jesus taught us, male and females. He said to us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We all know that meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. And the Lord is speaking to the women here, and he's just saying, in the same way that Jesus taught the men, I, I am reminding you, ladies, walk in the spirit of meekness. Yes, don't use your power to push his buttons or to resist him, but realize that true power is like a torrential, a torrential rain that falls into a river that creates huge white water rapids, and yet some people have found that in order for that energy to be effective, it needs to be harnessed. And ladies, harness, harness your emotions so that he says you have a quiet spirit. And you say, well, where does that come from? Psalms 23 describes God this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That word actually means waters of rest. I believe that our culture right now stirs up women to be to lose their peace and to come into fear when it comes to the relationship to men. And the Bible just says, have a quiet spirit because quietness is faith. And of course it applies to men as well. And this is precious in the sight of God. Then going back to our text in verse 5, it says, For in this way the holy women of former times who hoped in God also used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have proved to be your children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So as we look at this passage right here, that one's heavy with some stuff that's maybe culturally hard to navigate. But the truth is this, as he said, um, ladies, we're talking about timeless beauty. So let's remember the examples of the women in the Bible. Now, here's what I think is important. I want to ask the women here today to consider this question. You don't have to answer me because I don't know the answer. But you ask yourself this question. What is your model, and who's your role model? Is it according to the common culture right now, which you can't get away from, it's showing, blowing up your phone, or is it going to be a biblical model of how the women of old actually were able to win their husbands and come into alignment and agreement with them? Do you want to have a biblical marriage in a biblical home? Well, it's not going to look like this world. And so he says, look at the biblical example that God has given to them. Don't look at current trends. So it says here, we've got to deal with this first. He said, Sarah called her husband Lord. Now, I know that ain't happening in your marriage. <laughs> but it's not capital L, O-R-D. It really is, sir. In other words, make sure that all your language to him is respectful. That's all he's asking for. And it's easy, isn't it, when we get frustrated, and I can only imagine how often a wife gets frustrated with her husband, to enter into language that's disrespectful to him. But that's not understanding the nature of the fall. You disrespect a man and you diminish him. Verse 7, or at the end of that verse, it says, so don't be frightened by any fear. When you go into attack mode with someone, it's because you're being driven by fear. And the Lord said, don't let that happen. Stay in the peacefulness of faith that believing God's going to honor you if you are modeling what the Bible says is effective in order to win your husband who's not following the word. And then in verse 7, the last verse, it says, You husbands, in the same 
way, and that's often missed. In the same way, men, we are to operate in the same spirit of that towards our wives. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. That has to be the most difficult commandment in the entire scriptures. He says, understand your wife. You say, but she's so different than me. Yes, because the woman was taken out of the man. And in order for a man to become complete, it is important for him to be able to connect what he's picking up from his wife. Because she is so valuable to the Lord, the Lord says, understand her. You don't have all the answers like you think you do. So as I look at this passage right here, it says, live with your wives in an understanding of way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Wow, I even remember being a young man having graduated from school and when they were tearing down the patriarchy of marriage and its institution that it would quote this verse often. They call women, the Bible calls women the weaker vessel, but you have to understand here is what is true. Is that most men can actually overpower their wives. The strength of their voice is very intimidating. God made it deeper. He can usually yell louder. God's given men physical size and muscularity that exceeds the muscularity of women. Men can emotionally intimidate because the desire of a woman is to be loved by a man in a way that's godly. And he can actually use his cold-heartedness and his lack of emotional attachment to overpower her. And the Bible is just saying this, that Greco-Roman idea that just because a man can overpower a woman, that nature has suggested that a man should overpower a woman, has got to be broken. And that mindset was broken by the power of the gospel as it spread around the world. A man is not allowed to overpower a woman emotionally, mentally, spiritually, or in any way, physically in particular. What does strength really look like? It doesn't look like overpowering. It says, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. What does real strength look like when it comes from a man? It's honor. It's grace. Jesus, if you say, well, the Apostle Paul said that men are to, to lead inside their homes. But why would we despise that? It says actually in the scriptures that the man is supposed to be subject to Christ. The family, the wife is supposed to be subject to the husband. And Jesus says, and here, men, you 12, I have you 12 men here in the room. Here's how you lead. And he took a towel and he girded around his waist and he knelt down and he washed the feet of his disciples. Maybe women despise this whole idea of the order inside the home is because they've never seen men love and honor and lead in such a way. The Bible says, your wife is a fellow partner. She's a fellow partner. That means that she has a life to live and her whole life does not revolve around whether you are okay. Men, man up. It is about setting your spouses and your families up for success. And that's what a true leader looks like. It's not just a husband insisting that he get all of his desires met, but he actually understands that he gives his life so that others might live. That's how Jesus lived. And then he finally says this, do this so that your prayers will not be hindered. I believe in God's biblical order. I believe in the headship inside the home. But if you're going to lead your, your family, husbands, here's what you need to know. You better be getting your prayers answered or you are set up for failure. Jesus, it's so important to him, will not answer the prayers of a man who disrespects his wife and does not honor her. If you're going to live a godly life, men, if you're going to rise, if you're going to make sure that your masculinity isn't toxic, and I hate that phrase because it's a broad brush, but sometimes men have used masculinity in ways that is completely inappropriate. The Lord would just say to you, I won't answer your prayers if you're that kind of man. So we live in a generation with no clue about marriage. We thought we expanded its definition, but all we did is tear it down further. If we don't even know what a woman is anymore, if she's merely a birthing person, 
we have to understand that God has a beautiful order for inside of our home. I'm not going to ask you today, men and women, husbands and wives, I'm, I'm not going to contend with you if you don't, if this, uh, say, I don't agree with any of that. But I, I just will say, if you want a godly home, you have to have a biblical home. And sometimes the word of God just rubs us the wrong way when we first hear it. But at the end of the day, Jesus said his path is narrow and there's few people who find it. So I, if, can we all stand up this morning? I'm going to bless everyone that's here today. I'm going to pray a blessing on your homes. I mean, we, we need to get to the point where we're equal partners in our marriage, right? It's always been that way. We're just talking about how to bring some kind of order or mindset or attitudes inside of our homes and inside of our families. I'm going to pray over every couple, but I'm going to pray for the singles that are here as well because these are just godly mindsets. These are just the, the way a disciple acts, men and women. So, Father, first I just want to pray for every man and woman in this room. And I, I pray, Lord God, that in the feminine it would be godly. I pray that in the masculine, it would be godly. You're the one who made them male and female. I know, Lord God, that our culture is tearing that down. But I pray that the women in this church would rejoice that they are women. And that the men in this church would rejoice that they are men. And I pray, Lord God, that the male and female would come inside every relationship, that we would live together peacefully. Lord, they're dividing us in our country along gender lines. But you never intended that. You wanted us not to be adversaries. You wanted us to be friends. And so I pray, Lord God, remove the mindsets of this world. And I pray now, Lord God, for every marriage in this room. I pray for every man, Lord God, that he would be yielded to the Holy Spirit, that he be gracious and kind and honoring. He'd treat his wife with respect, that he would lead the way Jesus taught us to lead, to be a servant. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for every wife that's in the room. And as, Lord God, our culture is, is, is tapping into fear, fear, I pray, Lord God, that you would break the power of fear and that our marriages wouldn't be run by fear, but that they would be run by faith. And Father, I pray, Lord, for every marriage in this room that it would be blessed. And Father God, fill every home with the Holy Spirit. I thank you for it, Lord. We pray for every single person in this room and for our sons and daughters and grandchildren. We pray for them to find godly spouses who love the Lord and will create godly homes. And I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, before I close in prayer, just very quickly, if you need Jesus today, would you lift up your hand and just say, Pastor Jim, I want to meet Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, if you feel that tug on your heart, today can be your day of salvation. God, this is an awesome, awesome group of people. Bless them, Lord, and they're going out and they're coming in. Let the joy of the Lord be their strength and give them peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. I know it was a little bit longer today. Thank you for staying with me. If you need prayer today for anything, there'll be folks here in the front. They want to stand with you and pray with you. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.